Welcome to Therapy is Dope with Alicia and Julie. Let's make self-help fun again. But no, seriously, laughter is the best medicine. Come and join us as we introduce new ways of thinking and being. And hopefully get you laughing along the way. Experts here today. Oh, wait, that's just us. <laughs> that's like- that's actually just Alicia. I'm a good observer, listener, and and ask really good questions, I feel, or try to ask good questions. But if it wasn't for Alicia, I think it would just be a, a podcast full of questions. <laughs> that is not true. You have a lot of input and experience. Today's topic, speaking of input and experience, I guess we're calling it chemical dependency. Uh the way the DSM would describe it is substance use. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of different directions you can go with that. Yeah. So, but that's where the beginning of my career started. So got plenty of experience in that arena. What were you most surprised about when you started in that field? Uh, I think society has a perception of people who overuse substances as being weak. And I realized working closely with them that they are not weak people at all. They're people who have been through all kinds of stuff and are capable of even better in their lives. And it takes a major shift and I understand why in the world of AA, they call it a spiritual awakening. But when an addict decides to do something different, they're like unstoppable. They like pull themselves out of the biggest hole you've ever seen. And they do better than the average person. And that's like with felonies on their record. Wow. Yeah. So you're saying that addicts are stronger than normal people. <laughs> I I mean, they're very determined people. And, and this is speaking very generally, obviously. But when they decide they're like the go big or go home people, you know. So when they decide to do something, they jump in all the way and they're like, they're there. They're committed. Do you think everybody kind of has a mini addict in them, like a mini level of addiction? Because some people see it as, you know, define it as passion, right? They go, okay. oh, no, I'm just really passionate about my hobby. And you could have, you know, addiction to kombucha or if it's not even a chemical, <laughs> like even a hobby. Kombucha. I love soccer and I play soccer every single day and and and, and whatnot, but because the results of soccer is so healthy, people see it as passionate versus if someone says, I'm really passionate about cocaine. I love cocaine. It makes me feel so good. I work a lot better. I'm in a much better mood. My relationships are, are better. Um, I just have to go to the bathroom every 20 minutes to get high. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. My, and my health is know, That's really how that goes. Yeah. Um, and my health is just downhill. But is it because one results in in a life destroying uh, result? And if soccer was, let's say, if the person played soccer and ended up quitting their job, end up missing their job because they wanted to play soccer, and they would call in sick all the time, or they would be late because they just wanted to play longer, right? And it starts actually messing up the relationship. And and let's say that they're married at home with kids, but instead of being there, he just wants to play soccer. So we would leave, or when he's with them, he's not present because he's thinking about soccer moves or like things that he missed, or a, a you know like a like a goal he missed or a goal he made, you know whatever it was. And when you say being- soccer, are you referring to Tom Brady and Code? <laughs> because I oh, feel like <laughs> that is. So funny that you said that. I didn't even think about that. I wonder if he's that obsessed with football. Oh, was it unhealthy for that? You know, but him being the goat and him getting all of this publicity and and people, you know, literally cherish the ground he walks on, right? And I've actually seen a video where 
he like passes, you know, he, he passes the ball somewhere or whatever, and he ends up walking out and, and wiping his hands on a towel and tossing on the floor. And someone looks around, grabs a towel and puts it in his jacket. And, you know, he, like he's a god, right? So it, he might be addicted to the attention, the whatever it is, but he, the love of the game is there. So at what point would you say that addiction to the game or the love of the game becomes addiction? Or do we still see it as love of the game, passionate, caring, dedicated, loving, right? And and what point do we say if it was a drug that it was unhealthy from the get-go? Well, I'm gonna order answer your questions in order. The the first one you said was um the would you say something like that everybody has something kind of? Yeah. And there's actually a statistic that like one third of the population will never be addicted to anything. It's just not part of their personality. Uh, they can have a cigarette and then not smoke for three, six, nine a year. So, um, and then there's other people that if they smoke a cigarette, that's it. They're off to the races. They're going to be buying packs and going, going for it. Um, and so one third of the population is no. Another third of the population is moderate. Like they can kind of ride the line of having a problem so they could be excessive users. Um, and then the other third of the population is severe addicts. And severe addicts are usually the ones that everybody shames and looks down on. However, if those people rechannel their energies and get sober, they really are incredible. Um, and it doesn't mean anything about their heart either. They all, I mean, from my experience, they, they can have some of the most beautiful hearts, especially when they're sober. I mean, when you're under the influence, everything's clouded. So they're different people when they're under the influence. But anyway, um, you know, getting to your other question, at what point does something or anything become an addiction? And the answer to that question is when it starts to cause problems in your life. So this is where things get tricky because let's say, I think we talked about this a little bit last time, that if you're watching porn and your partner has an issue with it, um, do you have a problem with it or does your partner have a problem with it? And Oh, yes. And so it does get tricky and it gets hairy and it's hard to figure out like, and, and initially every addict thinks it's everybody else that's the problem. You just right. don't understand me. You just don't know how to have fun, you know, whatever the case may be. So initially it always looks like the other people are the problem or whatever. And then slowly but surely it starts to compile and it starts to look like, oh, I keep having problems, like I keep getting arrested or I keep losing relationships or I keep losing jobs. Um, and that's where you have to look at, okay, this is starting to look like a problem, but I'm glad that you brought up ath athleticism and sort of working out and things like that because all of those things can be addicting. And that culture of professional, being a professional athlete is, very high pressure and it can be very addicting for sure because not just the game but the everything that goes into it the practice the exercise the diet all of those things can be obsessions essentially that that become unhealthy for a person but couldn't you argue since we talked about Tom Brady couldn't you argue that he would not be the goat if he wasn't obsessed he wouldn't have all the accolades that he has and achievements if he wasn't obsessed. Let's say if he says, no, I want in moderation. I'm not going to, you know, I'm, I'm not going to try as hard. I'm not going to watch all those videos. I'm not going to, uh, I'm going to have a cheat day when it comes to my meals. Uh, and, you know, and, and he doesn't have the treatment he has or the achievements that he had if he didn't, if he wasn't obsessed. Yes. I mean, look, our, our strengths can also be our weaknesses. Always. That's always the case with humans. Whatever your strength is can also be your weakness. Uh, let's just say on a small scale that you 
are very crazy about time and you're always trying to be on time and you care about um, getting things done in a timely fashion. But on the other hand, you might annoy all the people in your life because you're always like, <laughs> oh, time, time, yeah. time. So um, you definitely annoy me because I'm late all the time. <laughs> your strengths can be your weaknesses. And, you know, I don't actually know enough about Tom Brady's life to say that he was obsessed and that was his demise. I mean, that is what it, it sounds like that from what I've heard, but I don't, I haven't looked into it enough to say that that was the problem. But I can say I've worked with some professional athletes and it does, it can become an obsession and it can be hard to even stop all of those things once you stop playing. Some people are really good at it. Some people are like, ugh, I'm so done with that. You know, and they're just like, I'm going to eat whatever I want. I'm not going to be exercising like that. And then other people have a really hard time coming out of that mind space. Yeah, I actually knew a professional athlete. He was an NFL player and he uh, went from, you know, being a god when he's on the uh, on the lawn or on the what a field lawn. <laughs> Tells Same. you about my my sports <laughs> uh, fan uh, level. Okay. Uh, but I remember him fighting, um, struggling to fight an identity issue. Oh, yeah. He, the more, the less and less he was on the field, the less and less he was recognized or was given these freebies or access or power yeah and I, I think he struggled with that a lot and I don't know if um Tom Brady or you know other athletes do that too so they want to be included somehow or on the flip side of that do they go and say yeah those people that say I want nothing to do with it because maybe they didn't enjoy it and their time was up um I don't know. I know Justin Bieber talks about that. I mean, obviously he's not an athlete, but he talks about um, the stark difference between being on stage and having all these fans around you to then going on the bus by yourself and being like kind of lonely on the road. And he said the highs and lows like mess with your mind. And I could see that for sure. Oh, I didn't think about that, that you're on a bus and literally you're you know, again, I'm going to use the word God, but like, you know, you're God when it comes to you're on the stage, every people are paying money to see you. It's how, in, like, if you think about how crazy is that feeling, right? To be like, I'm worth this dollar sign. I'm worth millions of dollars. And, and when you're, and you have, you're surrounded by yes, ma'am, because you're paying their salary. They have a job because you're performing. And so you're the most important person in the room all the time. But on top of that, like you don't have anything else. You're going to God to sleep so you could be God the next day. Sleep, God, sleep. You mean there, there isn't any um, decompression time? Yeah, my cousin, he travels with uh, some musicians. He's traveled with a couple of different bands. He does lighting. And he doesn't even know what city he's in half the time. Like... I'll be like, oh, I see you guys are coming to Tampa. And he's like, are we? <laughs> Gee, I wouldn't be surprised at all. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I just get on the bus and go where I'm supposed to go. So, I mean, and I'm sure they, you know, we, if, from my perspective, it's like, oh my God, you've seen so much of the world. You've gone so many places. And I don't even know how much they actually get to see of any of those places because they're just working, you know? Mm. <clears throat> so, Anyway, yes, all of these, anything, what makes something addicting is the potency. So in the world of drugs, obviously uh, heroin and crack cocaine are of the most potent. So they're the most addictive, right? But it's all about whatever appeals to a person. Everybody's individualistic and different things appeal to different people. So you might prefer a sweet potato and I prefer a piece of chocolate. 
I think that yeah. might be accurate for me and Julie. Yeah, actually, that makes me sense. I do love chocolate. No, actually, no, that's wrong when it comes to chocolate. Everything. Okay. Okay. Chocolate is better than everything. But if you said kale, I would be kale. like, oh, girlfriend. Girlfriend. Not kale. So it's kind of like whatever hits you just right. You know, and that could be working out. It could be, you know, eating a certain something. It could be uh, whatever, you know, like people who eat fast food all the time obviously really enjoy it. I don't really like fast food. Yeah, so me. that's like a, a benefit that I have. I don't, it doesn't taste that good to me, but obviously plenty of other people think it does. And it's the same thing for drugs. Like some people are like, oh, alcohol makes me tired or alcohol makes me depressed. And other people are like, what? I have a drink and I'm ready to party. <laughs> so it's all about how something hits for you. Some people like high intensity workouts. That is not me. I'm not that person. Yeah. <laughs> it does not appeal to me in the slightest. So uh, what what's going to give people the dopamine hit is different. And some people get it from shopping and some people get it from cigarettes. Yeah. So actually I was, while you're speaking, I was looking up the definition of addiction. And I, and there's one definition that annoys me right now because it says the fact or condition of being addicted to a particular substance, thing, or activity. I hate when they use the word that I'm trying to look up in the definition. It's like, that's what I was trying to look up person. Okay. Now I have a different one. It says, what is defined as an addiction? Addiction is defined as a chronic relapsing disorder characterized by compulsive drug seeking and use despite and uh, seeking and use despite adverse consequences. But that's yeah. specifically addiction to a substance. Couldn't you say activity as well? Look, so if I replace- Okay, compulsive activity seeking or drug seeking or substance seeking and use despite adverse consequences. I mean, think about like, we were, we've been talking about athletes um, and think about the concussion. Did you see the concussion movie that came out? No, uh, I need to. Basically, like concussions are very dangerous to experience. And obviously, a lot of people experience them and they're fine. But when you're playing football, for example, you are much more likely to get a concussion. And a lot of football players end up with some serious brain damage as a result. And yet, they don't stop playing. Well, maybe they also see it as you can't say that with addiction. I don't know if you could say addiction. You could say it as um a lot of people are depend on that as their way out of life or as their one succession plan or their one and not succession plan their success plan so it's their only way to get uh, to make money make a lot of money right so they understand what the risks are but i think also they're like mm, it's not gonna happen to me right i'm not saying uh I'm not saying somebody who plays football is an addict. I'm saying if you're if you're starting to experience physical consequences from the game oh. and you're like, I don't care, I'm gonna keep playing. Oh. There might be something else going on here for you beyond right. just the game. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then uh, another thing says, what are the criteria for addiction? These criteria fall under four basic categories. Number one, impaired control. Number two, physical dependence. Number three, social problems. And number four, risky use. Physical dependence you have to be careful with because people are like, oh, you can't physically get addicted to um, marijuana. Well, first of all, yes, you can. The physical dependence just looks differently. Mm. Um, And the same with alcohol. So you can be physically addicted to alcohol. And a lot of people think you're not an alcoholic unless you're physically addicted. But there are plenty of people out here who are addicts who aren't showing the physical withdrawal symptoms all the time. So uh, I you have to be careful with the physical piece. I mean, technically, any hangover is withdrawal. So oh. what are we calling physical physical dependence i think that's that's a a hiccup that people it's something they use to say i'm not an addict 
another thing people say is, oh, I don't use by myself or uh, I only use uh, during the day or I, or I never use during the day. I only use at night. Um, so there's a lot of different excuses. That, oh, I don't do it every day. That's another one. I don't do it yeah. every day. So none of those things are necessarily relevant unless you're talking about someone who's um, thinking that they have to have a physical withdrawal. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. So you can have problems in your life from using a substance or having an addiction of anything without physical dependence. Okay, so now that we've defined what it is or tried to define what it was, and used things that aren't um, obviously an addiction, right? Um, like a hobby or a, or something that became an addiction, not necessarily the obvious, which would be drugs. And you also, you I liked how you defined a pop or broke down the population into nose, riding the line, maybe, and yes. Yeah. Um, I think I'm a no because I've done like hardcore. I've tried hardcore drugs once. And then I've never had to think about it. And the, uh, I do have to say, I did Molly one time and I had literally the best day of my entire life. I just, it was ever heaven. If heaven was on earth, that was the day I did Molly. <laughs> <laughs> like I was everything, everything that ever happened in my life. I felt like all came together in that, in that night. And it was like eight hours of complete bliss. And, and I you never it. It did it again. Oh, and then, yeah. Then I didn't do it for like, five years or whatever because I just didn't I you know I just I just chalked it up to oh I was in a really good place um I was with my family and friends we were in a really fun day you know it, like it, everything was just perfect right um so basically I was at Coachella and I had I just went with a person I really fully trust and we we're dating and and I had all my friends I had my family there then at the end I came home and I had dinner with my parents and it was just like every everything that I could have loved was in there. And before Aww. that day, I already worked a lot and I was and I got, a, you know, really like helped everybody here at my at my work. And I felt like everything yeah, was you great. Hear was yourself like a, talking right now. This is most, the perfect day ever in Julie's mind. First of all, having dinner on Molly with your parents. That's hilarious. And second, the day before you got to help everybody. That's that's a good day. Isn't that so funny? It was like twenty five. Hilarious. I, I don't know why, but that was like my favorite day ever. And this um, just gives us insight into who you are. Well, I mean, like everything was complete, right? And I just felt and everyone was so loving, and it was just great. And I mean, it's adorable. <laughs> so and then, yeah, and then I didn't do Molly for like years. Yeah, I mean, I would say that I think I'm in the medium group i definitely feel like i've ridden the line i think that's um that's how, how would you describe that what do you mean what what did you feel how were you feeling well for example during covid i started drinking daily and that's when my stomach started to get messed up and um that's when i realized hmm this is causing a problem in my life oh. <laughs> this is starting to fit the narrative and that's when i stopped drinking so um, I think that, you know, and, and I have my family, there are people in my family that definitely also ride the line. I think it's like, I think my grandfather did. I think some of my cousins have, I think some of my cousins have crossed the line as well into um, severe addiction. And that's the thing, like when you're in the moderate category, you're, you can't say like, oh, I've had control in different times in my life. So I'm not at risk for crossing the line into the severe mm -hmm. category because yep. people can cross over at any time. I've seen people do it in their forties, in their late thirties. So if you, if you're riding that line, it's still risky and you still have to be careful. So if you're okay, so two, you're basically two thirds of the population um should be careful yes absolutely. so only a third of the population would probably i would i would kind of i feel like i would be the, a no i don't know that i think you're a no too yeah yeah and i think if i 
I don't know. I guess if I was presented to something that was like great, you know, I, I don't know if I would do it. Like, let's say if I loved traveling, I can't do it all the time. Afterwards, <laughs> I just, you know, I, I don't know when I would be addicted if it was activity or if it was a drug. Oh, just it's not you. You're in the nose. Yeah. It's okay. So what would you say to people that are in that two thirds and be like, hey, you got to be careful. What are signs that you could say before it becomes too bad? Because you, you don't want to get to, it's just like also maintaining weight, right? I always think this too. I go, and they go, oh, it's okay. You know, like uh, you could spare a few pounds, but then you don't want to get to a place where, because it's easier to maintain something. Like let's say every day I have, you know, I, I if I do my laundry, I just put it away right away. Or, or I clean, I spend five minutes to clean the bathroom every day versus having it accumulate and then spending three hours cleaning um, once a month or something. I don't do that. I just... You know, I just, I just rather do a little bit every day type of thing. Um, and it's easier to maintain just like your weight too. Like I, I'd rather not be 50 pounds overweight and being like, oh, I need to now try to get back to that thing. Cause then you have to deal with saggy skin and you need to deal with a lot more stuff versus maintaining my weight now and not going for that, you know, 10th chocolate, <laughs> which I, I often do whatever I get, but, um, but you know what I mean? So, so I feel like when it comes to maintaining your addiction, what are signs that you go, Hey, uh, maybe I should step back a little bit before it's, before it's even like dangerous at all. Uh, so usually people will start telling you that, you know, that you might be overdoing it or that you are starting to be too much or that you're, um, you're, starting to scare them or something like that like people will say things to you and usually that's the easiest thing to blow off people blow that off pretty pretty easily um and then problems you'll have other problems in your life like people won't want to hang out with you anymore or relationships will start to end like you can't hold a um romantic relationship either or um, financial problems, like I'm spending all of my money on this thing. It could be buying purses or it could be buying booze. Um, but when you're using, when you're trying to get dopamine hits all the time, it usually costs us money in, at some point. So uh, people can get themselves into financial problems. Work is another thing. Like if you start showing up to work late or you start performing poorly or you start getting written up or you keep losing your job you know those are signs that there could be a problem okay. that there is a problem going on so you basically look at the areas that of, of functionality your health your relationships your work and your finances those are the biggest categories usually okay so okay because when, when, you know, the, the first comments that you said, if you go, hey, you shouldn't be doing that so much. So let's say it was that, um, you know, like drinking or something. It's like, hey, you've been drinking a lot, you know, this week. I understand how the person could be that is drinking a lot could be just annoyed because they're like this person. Because am I really drinking that much? Or according to you, you don't want me to drink because you want me to do something else. Yes. Right. Versus is it, is it that other person projecting a problem towards me? Versus is, is this really a problem? Right. Going back to everything in moderation, right? Moderation is subjective. Because yes. to you, to Alicia, moderation with the coffee was, you know, up until, oh, my stomach hurt. <laughs> Maybe I need to stop. Yeah. But if your stomach didn't hurt, you probably would have thought that was an issue. Right. Correct. But Yeah. Versus I don't drink coffee at all. So if I drank coffee once a week, you know. If I started drinking coffee once a week, I would feel like that's a lot. Oh, why do I have? To, this is my second cup of coffee this week. <laughs> it's know? so funny that you keep talking about coffee too, because in the world of AA, when people stop drinking alcohol, they often start drinking coffee. And there's coffee at every AA meeting. And some of the old timers drink coffee all day. They have like a little, you know, like Stanley oh. cup or whatever. And they just drink that all day long. So, so it's almost using... like the coffee replaces the alcohol. Yeah. yeah. 
And and a lot of times I remember uh, reading this randomly, but a lot of times people say, if you want to quit cigarettes, um, pick up other habits. Because sometimes you're used to having cigarettes in your hands. So they said, put like a carrot stick or stuff like that. So then you eat, help. number one, you're changing your diet eating, but also you have something in your hand that feels, yes. it's a it's a weight of the uh, cigarette. It feels like it's something you can play around with, you know, and stuff like that. So I wonder if that is, you know, it's it's the better of two evils. Not like coffee's an evil, but I'm just, you know. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We call it in in the substance abuse world, we call it harm reduction. Oh. And a lot of times marijuana is harm reduction for people. You know, if you've been doing meth and now you smoke weed, I mean, you're probably most likely much more functional on weed than you were on meth. So yeah, I'm not going to argue with you about it. Um, but then for other people, weed is their problem. So it, you know, it's depends. Everything in life depends. If that's, that's frustrating because I'm sure that some people even li- listening to podcasts is like, no, I want answers. I want, I, know. I want you to give me a template of exactly what I want to do. I want to go, Alicia, give me step one recognizing the the addiction is this step two this is what i do uh whatever harm reduction number three blah 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 blah, blah. and then number four freedom you know me and happiness the crazy thing is it's never that way right just just like there's millions of movies telling the same story out there millions of songs that give you the same message and millions of motivational speakers that give you the same message and why are they all successful? Because it depends on the person. Because I might love Oprah, but you might be like, nah, you know oh, who's no, better? Oh, no, I love Oprah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Who doesn't love Oprah, first of all? Okay, so I I, how dare I Oprah say that? Oprah for how president. Dare I, say that? <laughs> I know. How dare I say that about her? Everybody loves her. That's a bad example. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like Tony Robbins. There you go. He could be mm. polarizing. Some people are like, oh, I don't like the cussing. I don't like the, you know, it's, it's too much, right? And the raspy voice, too much. But to other people, it's like, I needed that. You know, I needed the, sh- the I need someone to shake me. Yeah. Um, So that's why, because at the end of the day, it depends. It depends yeah. on you as a person, what triggers you. Because everybody has different triggers depending on how you grew up. You uniquely grew up, so you have a unique trigger. And those triggers um, might be similar to other people but it's your own and things that fix or helps, uh, you know, solve the trigger is spoken through different people and through different music and through different movies. Yes. And I know that we want hard and fast rules in life. And as a person who has struggled with anxiety, I have also wished that there were just answers to things, but I have come to accept and also love that almost everything is gray and there are some things that we know that could be considered hard and fast rules Um, and those are some of the things that we've already talked about like when these things start causing you problems in the major areas of life Um, and then the rest of it is just enjoying whatever comes and whatever your story is whatever your journey is and riding with the unknowns yeah and know that I think it also has to do with maybe uh, perfection I know that people I I know myself personally I'm just speaking quite personally then um I did certain things and I could have been seen as uh, being addicted to work for a while Mm. but my but my reason I was addicted is because I wanted it was underlying uh, uh, problem with perfectionism I no, want it to be beautiful. Perfect. Yeah, I want to be seen as perfect because then I would get the validation of everybody. Then I would prove that I would be loved, that I would be worthy and I have value in life. Mm. Um, so if I was There's always useful, underlying stuff too. Yeah. So if I wasn't useful to you or if I wasn't perfect or I wasn't someone I could look up to, someone that someone could look up to or you know, helping people or benefiting somebody, um, then I wasn't useful and there had no purpose in life and there's no point in loving me. Why would you spend time with someone that's useless? Uh, and 
And I, so I was addicted to working at the bakery because every time I did something well at the bakery, it's, it, it, that's my family business, it was right? Validation. Every time I, yeah, every time I did well in it, not only do my parents validate me and say, wow, that was great and blah, blah, whatnot. But my employees said, thank you so much for helping me. The customers would be like, oh, I love this. This, this cake is amazing. Or we celebrated my quinceanera three weeks ago and the roles were ev what everybody was talking about. People even forgot about the, the presents or something, you know, someone literally said that three to a week ago to me and I couldn't stop smiling. And I was like, oh, and I just felt so amazing. I felt useful. I felt helpful. I felt worthy and valued. Um, and I think that's why I felt like I, I really had an addiction to work because I mm. wanted I wanted to seek that gratification. I mean, that is absolute beautiful insight there. And uh, I I totally agree with what you're saying. And I think that there's underlying stuff like that for everybody. We do know that people who are on the severe end of addiction are born with lower levels of dopamine. So there is a chemical piece to it. We also know that there's genetic combinations that if you carry these genetic combinations, you're much more likely to become an addict. So there's a genetic component, there's biochemical components, like like we were saying earlier, like how something hits for you. You know, one person might take an opioid and get super sick and say, I'm never taking that again. And other people take an opioid and they were like, oh, that euphoria was amazing. I want more of this in my life. Me, I took an opiate once and I fell asleep. So it did nothing for me. I was like, well, what did you take? It was a hydrocodone. It was just a Vicodin, basically. Okay. Um, so I've never taken an Oxy or anything like that. I don't know what that could do for me. Um, but, you know, it's all about how something hits for you. I, just today, I was talking to this guy about uh, propofol, because when I had to have a stomach scope from back when I was hurting myself, um, hurting my stomach, I loved the propofol it made me so happy I woke up like clear and like so happy and focused and just like I felt so good for no reason just amazing and um what wh the thing was that when I went to get the procedure done they told me most people take the day off and they just go home and sleep but I didn't take the day off because I felt awesome I was like, this is the best day ever. So how it hits you is individual based on your biochemistry and all these other things. So uh, there's a lot of different components to it, but then almost always we all have stories. We all have traumas. We all have things we've been through. And so, yeah, there's stuff underlying even just the genetics and the biochemical stuff that needs to be paid attention to especially yeah. if you want to get better right that's why i think it's it's so important to go to therapy to seek professional help if you feel like you're really out of control uh because there's because because that therapy it just helps you unpeel uh you know peel all the layers of this onion yeah. right because everybody's onion is different right because let's say I have, I had triggers in, I don't know, right, value, but you don't, like you have, you have anxiety, in, like you have anxiety in this thing, but I have no anxiety, really, I don't really, I don't worry about things, or things don't really sleep, like I sleep like a baby every night, and I, I, literally the world could be melting, and I go, good night, and I'm just <laughs> asleep, I'm fine, <laughs> but I, I I know that's so weird, right? Because I literally, I went, went awesome. through like hell and back when it comes to one, the breakup that I talk, talked about before. And but I slept every night, eight, eight hours, fine. That's <laughs> like, now amazing. I eight hours, think about it. Um, all right, now I'm off on a tangent. <laughs> <laughs> You're just saying like how our <laughs> stories are different. Oh, oh, different. So the onions, right? So everyone's layers of the onions are different so if you go to therapy or you're at least speaking to somebody you don't have to go to therapy and pay the money or whatnot or go to you could go to cheaper like zoom therapies or at least have a friend or join a church group or join something that you could turn to someone that you respect ideally that doesn't have the addiction <laughs> <laughs> yes 
that you could share it with. You could share it and then you could start on, you know, peeling back those layers. Yeah. And I think you'd be surprised. There are a lot of people out there who do have the insight and they're like, okay, now what, what do I do with it? Yeah. So, and that's, you know, still something that another person can help you with. But interestingly, um, a lot of things operate the same way as addiction. So, you know, we've already mentioned that you could sort of be addicted to working out. People can be addicted to eating. People can be addicted to not eating. People can be addicted to, and again, there's biochemical um, things that contribute. Like when you get under a certain weight, you can no longer think clearly. So you have to be able to be a healthy weight in order to get better. So Oh, um, I didn't even know that. Yeah. So these these things are complex, but um, they operate very similarly. And even OCD, there was a time when they were considering moving addiction under OCD because OCD operates very similarly to all these same things, including being in toxic relationships. And being in toxic relationships can be addicting. And... Uh, because there's intense highs and there's intense lows and we're always chasing the high in the relationship. So uh, the same thing, you know, occurs with binge eating disorders, shopping, gambling, porn, all the things uh, that you can go overboard with. And even like, you know, we were saying earlier, you can do a healthy activity too much and it can be a problem just like you can overdose on certain vitamins and things like that. So too much of anything is just not good for us. Everything in moderation, Everything but moderation is subjective. Yeah. <laughs> it's so much gray area. I know. You know, what's crazy. The national statistics on drinking. First of all, I think they're bullshit. I think somebody's lying. But <laughs> so what they say is that like, 25% of the population doesn't drink. And I'm like, bullshit. I don't know if I believe that. Either they're like too old to drink oh, oh. or like- Or they're infants. Like mm, how- good point, but, yeah. And also who pulls up these statistics? Because I've never answered any of those before. Me neither, me neither. So, but they then when they talk about, you said moderation subjective. So what is considered binge drinking for a woman is having more than- four drinks and per setting how many times a week in a day um uh, every drinking. day <clears throat> binge drinking is having four drinks in a day so if you have a martini that is considered three drinks martinis <laughs> have three look at her face you guys can't see her face um that martini, makes no sense yes a martini is considered three drinks. Don't get don't get me started on a Long Island iced tea or some of these like rum runners. Some of these drinks have multiple drinks in them. And so you think you only have one drink, but technically it's considered more. And like a, a wine, I think the, the pour on a wine is supposed to be like four ounces or something. But most places give you like, do you want three, six or nine ounces? So if you're having oh. a nine ounce glass of wine, then that's technically two drinks. So we don't even, most people aren't even aware of like what is considered moderation and women are not, are recommended to not have more than one drink. And it's actually not even a whole drink. We're allowed to have like three fourths of a drink a day. No way. And anything, what? anything more than that is considered unhealthy. And if Come you have on. four drinks, you're binge drinking. So these are the rules. I didn't make them. And and this is speaking from a person like me. I only drink once a month. So do I just binge drink every month? You know? And and, and when I drink, I just literally, I'll have like two martinis. But at most or something, six right? I don't drink a lot. That's six drinks, Julie. Six drinks. This makes no sense whatsoever. No, <laughs> I don't believe it. Uh, you have to re- I feel like we're pulling 1920s information. Like, update the data, people. Come on. <laughs> How much do you drink? I don't really drink anymore. Um, 
I have found now that my stomach is a lot better that I can still drink white wine. So I will have a white wine on occasion, but I really can't even drink more than two glasses or I start to feel like the same symptoms kind of again. So yeah, um, but how many ounces? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That is a great question. And I have no idea how many ounces I've been consuming. Um, but yeah, when you I fill it to the brim, uh, Alicia, there's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> so that's okay. How big is the cup? That's the question. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I used to do assessments on juveniles and I would say, how much do you drink when you go out? And they'd be like, oh, I have like one cup. And I was like, one cup of what? What are you talking about? They were talking about solo cups most of the time. Yeah. And I was like, well, how much alcohol is in your solo cup? And they were like, I don't know. I feel it like halfway. I'm like, halfway? Do you know how many drinks that is? <laughs> how many drinks is a half a solo cup? How much solo cups are what? How many ounces? 20 ounces? I think they're like they're either 12 or 16 i don't know something it along be those lines. 12. I think 12 seems too small i think it has to be probably 16 yeah i think so too so, so they're doing eight would ounces. be eight ounces and i think a shot is one ounce right yeah i'm holding a little bottle right now that says <laughs> 16 ounces but it seems smaller than a solo cup i wonder if a solo cup is heavier than that i have no idea i don't know but <clears throat> yeah so we um according to the experts what moderation is is a lot lower than what we think it is and and those numbers by the way are based on what is good for our bodies so alcohol is a poison it's not good for our bodies it yeah. really doesn't do much for us at all um and you know obviously like heroin and cocaine are similar <laughs> yeah okay i just looked it up i looked it up because i was too curious so you know in the solo cup they have those ridges yeah so the very bottom ridge that little tiny like millimeter at the very bottom is one fluid ounce ah, I that's way one shot. more when i'm doing a shot yeah you're yeah. supposed to only you're supposed to there's no way i didn't even know that was even a measurement <laughs> why is the, the bottom of the cup anyways okay and then the second part which is like maybe a three quarters up or a quarter up the cup, that's five fluid ounces. So that's where you should stop with wine. And there's no way I, I ever stopped from that line either when it no. comes to regular drinks. Right. And then the full cup all the way to the top is 18 ounces. <gasps> it's 18 ounces? Oh, wow. 18 ounces. Oh, then there's wow. a couple of more, yeah, there's a couple more ridges right at the very top. And one of them is a 12 ounce and 16 ounce ridge. But very interesting. See, so if, if Someone filled that up with a drink at a frat party. Let's say because you're waiting in line for a long time and people are like, oh, you know, th there's only like X amount of drinks at the party. I would just fill mine up because I wouldn't want to come back. Yeah. So 18 ounces at when I was in college, I probably was like 100 pounds or something. 18 ounces of hard alcohol. But it wasn't just pure hard alcohol. Of course, I would have died. Um, you know, but just mix a mix a spirit or something, right? A mixed drink. Well, in those frat parties, a lot of times. So then the other thing you have to consider, and this is where things get real tricky with alcohol. Um, and I don't mean to just focus on alcohol. We're just talking about that right now. But um, is how um, potent the liquor is. So oh, yeah. when it comes to a frat party, for example, they usually use like the highest potency for the liquor. Oh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. that's already considered more than one drink, even if you're only having one ounce. Yeah. And the so same for like craft beers and um, even like those Trulies and stuff now, the Trulies have more alcohol in them than a beer does. So people can say like, well, I only had two Trulies, but be because of the higher alcohol content, you technically had more drinks than your counterpart who was just drinking Coors Light. Yeah. So drinking a, I don't know, even I'm still getting over the whole two martinis <laughs> has been drinking. Two martinis has been drinking. Come on. That's, I don't that's true. It's just, that is, crazy to me because I the I whole know. time I'm like oh no I barely drink and everybody always says are you finally gonna drink are you finally gonna drink I rarely drink and it's like oh I guess I binge drink oops <laughs> more often than I thought I did 
I remember this girl I used to work with, she was an alcoholic and she was like, yeah, I'm finding that it's really hard to date because people will say on their profiles that they only drink socially. And what they really mean is that they binge drink and they're damn near alcoholics. It's <laughs> like, I was like, oh yeah, that's social drinking now. <laughs> At least yeah, the You know that's true. There is uh the evidence that the, but you know when people were in their you know in the sixties or something, when they were in college and drinking, it really was one two drinks and that's it, right? Versus now, it's way more often for a student to say that they've been blacked out, um, from drinking versus a person in their sixties or I mean in the nineteen sixties at a dorm room saying they're blacked out like that was much more um worrisome at that time versus now it's like oh okay the same is true for marijuana so marijuana's potency in the 70s was like five percent thc and now marijuana's potency like off the bush you can get marijuana that has 30 percent thc and that's just like a plant that someone grew so and then we have the vapes that are like 86% THC or 98% THC. So marijuana has become a lot more potent than it used to be. And it therefore has potential to cause more problems than it used to. Yeah. So, you know, those people that did um like a ton of drugs at uh, Woodstock or something, they probably weren't even that high. Or I mean, they weren't the the drugs were clearly not potent right right that is true so we have we have really uh technology has been a blessing and a curse because we figured out how to make everything more potent even hell we've even made fentanyl more potent there are types of fentanyl being manufactured that are a hundred times stronger than fentanyl which is insane if you ask me fentanyl is already out here killing everybody and now we're making it more potent but yes we are because more is better in an attic mind mm. yeah because you get numb to it right in the beginning you get oh you have a little bit it's like oh it's not or in the beginning you go oh it's good it's good it's good but it's not hitting you right let me get a little bit more let me get a little bit more let me get a little bit more yeah, um, that's another one of those red flags <laughs> when you need more and more so when you have, when you see one of those red flags, what is the first step to recovery that you think you suggest you do? Find a friend, find a therapist, um, journal it out. I, I don't know. What do you think? I don't think you should trust yourself as far as journaling is concerned in that situation because it's so easy to lie to yourself. Um, but I would, first of all, I would say quit. I mean, I would say that abstinence, at least for a period of time, is really important because when you've been under the influence for too long, you are no longer capable of thinking clearly. No matter how well you think you're doing, you could think better. So you need a period of abstinence before you even consider returning to use. And the research shows you should have at least 90 days sober before you try to return to moderate use. So the very first thing would be, you know, getting sober. And if you don't think it's safe for you to do that on your own, then you should go to detox or treatment or, you know, something along those lines. And then, yes, of course, therapy, uh, psychiatry probably might be in order. You know, there's usually a lot of mental illness involved in substance use, so, and any other kind of addiction, so you know, you want to treat the underlying issues. Are there low cost uh, rehab centers available? I'm sure there is, but can you just Google that and that just resources pop up? Oh, that's an excellent question. Um, I know like in Tampa, there are some lower cost treatment centers. I know that if you get arrested, usually court systems have places that they have contracts with and help support. And so they can send you to these court approved places and usually it's cheaper. Um, but cheaper isn't always better, unfortunately. And um, if you Google help 
yes, things will come up, but is it going to be a lot to sort through? Yes. So, um, you know, that's where, I don't know. I mean, sometimes if you call, I know here, I can't answer for the whole country, but I know that here, if you call the rehabs and you're interested in treatment, a lot of times they'll help you find a place to go that's going to best suit you, even if it's not their treatment center. Like they oh, have okay. people who do that. Yeah. I'm sure you could go to a treatment center and just say, hey, I only have this much. And they'll be like, well, this has this has a budget of this much or this costs this much, but I could probably recommend you. So don't be afraid of going to one, even if you it feels too expensive. Most of the time they would know where, maybe a phone number at least to help you get to somewhere else. Right, exactly. And And the other thing is, and I tell people this all the time, when it comes to medical bills, you can almost always A, negotiate them down and B, get on a payment plan. Oh, yeah. So your medical bills never need to go to collections because you could say, I have $10 a month that I can put on this bill. And even if you're paying $10 a month for the rest of your life, whatever, you're making payments and they can't report it to your credit because you're making payments. I didn't know that. Yeah. So um, it's still like, you know, even though I know this information, it's still anxiety provoking for me to owe a big medical bill. And I think it is yeah. for a lot of other people too. Um, but at the end of the day, you're investing in yourself. And I like to believe you're worth it, but I know a lot of people don't feel like they're worth it. But you just never know what, what can happen in your life if you become the best person you can be. No. <laughs> that is so cute. It's true. You're capable of so much more than you think you are, especially when you're trying to be the best person you can be. Yeah. I mean, I've seen so many people come so far in life to places that they never thought they could be. I was just talking to a client the other day who had a trauma trigger at work, which he has like oodles and oodles of trauma. And in the past, he would have had a full-blown panic attack and he would have been a mess for several days, wouldn't have been able to sleep that night. But he was able to ward off the panic and didn't even have the panic attack. And then he slept that night. And yes, he did have a nightmare, but he was still able to sleep. So I've watched people get better and do better and if you don't give up, you just don't know where you can end up. No. Yeah. I love that. There's so many quotes I could pull from this episode <laughs> alone. <laughs> You're the cutest, Julie. Uh, I still am going to crack up later about your Molly story. That was just hilarious. <laughs> well, to be fair, I was at the tail end of the Molly when I was with my parents. I wasn't like high, like I wasn't like you know dilated, <laughs> like super dilated, huge eyeballs. You're like, and, this uh, dinner with you guys is the best. <laughs> but I did feel like that. I was like, oh, this is so nice. It's it's like, so I cute. feel so happy right now. <laughs> that is so stinking cute, man. And just literally all day, every day, or all day that day, I just felt like, I feel so happy. Oh, I feel so happy. Oh, oh. I feel so lucky. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> Simple things in life. <laughs> yes, for sure. Well, hopefully we said something useful for somebody. Um, yeah. Tell us if you want us to go deeper into a specific drug, maybe that might help somebody um or yeah or we could share you know what we really want to do i want to grab somebody that um has gone through all that you know and, and been a guest in our or put put them as a guest on our podcast because it's really interesting how um sometimes you don't even expect it like this person there's a lot of people that i know that are from the outside look completely fine i just have never I, I would not have expected that at all. And then also it's like, what? What just happened? He's been doing it for how long? You know, like two years? Two years? Where have I been? Like, I've seen him in two years, you know? And I've talked to him on the phone. And how did that happen? 
a lot I feel like a lot of times it's like that versus you know the way that we're describing people sometimes we're like oh come on you shouldn't be doing that or you're skipping work or blah 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 you know then the little little signs sometimes the signs they're so small or 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 maybe we're just all busy with life right um that I don't notice them until it becomes like this huge you know just brick and this is a quote that reminds me of what I'm trying to say right now but it's like you know um you it's the whispers you're not listening to the whispers like, like it's like a brick off the wall and then you're not seeing the little chips coming down coming down and coming down you ignore those and you go oh it's not a big deal it's not a big deal until the entire brick falls over hits you over the head right and sometimes we're not listening to those whispers and and a lot of times I know personally for me I'm a hard learner um sometimes I need that brick <laughs> yeah me too for sure uh also you know, the, what you're describing there is not unusual when you don't, when you're part of the one third of the population, that's just never going to be addicted to anything. You don't imagine that other people are, you aren't thinking like, Oh shit, Um, are you on drugs? You're not thinking that when you're part of the severe group, you think everybody's doing drugs. You're looking at what are you on? What are you taking? You know? So it all depends on, um, your experience basically in life so yeah I did date a um a recovering alcoholic meth uh addict and his stories are very interesting he said it got so bad that um he he was always high functional you know um, a lot of people are that's why we can't go with that those criteria about physical and all of that because a lot of people are out here functioning yeah he said he had like um like four bags of heroin in his pocket two three in one pocket and one in an, one in another because in case he got caught he could just throw the one and be like here you got it and then he leave and he still has his three uh, uh so he said that one time he was you know his, his i guess his sister was like crying like please can you still can you stop can you please stop or something right and she was grabbing him and like crying he said fine you want me to fucking stop here you go and he just threw he threw the baggie and he left and he felt bad but he also felt relieved that she didn't take the other three like it's it's so crazy to feel like he said he he was crying on the way home like sobbing crying and going like i feel so useless why didn't i give her everything whatever and then immediately went to but i need it why the fuck would she take all of it does she even care you know what i mean it was just like it was uh this yeah pendulum of thinking it literally was extreme pendulums right well and that's the wild thing like I loved working in rehab because I got to hear all those stories but never see that side of a person um but also something that you and I talk about a lot is mindset and your thoughts and and trying to like work with your thoughts and your emotions And if your thoughts can tell you, oh man, it's so bad that I'm driving away from my sister, knowing damn well that I'm going to use heroin again when I just tricked her into thinking that I'm not. And you, you can have that side of, of thoughts and feelings, but then that doesn't feel good. So immediately our brain is like, but wait a second, why would she want me to suffer? And it switches like that. And it's just about which side we choose to put our focus on and to put our attention on. And if if he sat in the, wow, I can't believe I'm doing this to my sister. If that, if he sat in that longer, maybe he wouldn't have used the other three bags of heroin. But instead, his mind helped him out, helped him, I'm using air quotes, by saying, no, no, no. She's the problem here because she doesn't care if you have to go through withdrawal and she doesn't have to experience withdrawal and she doesn't know what it's like and she just doesn't get it, you know? And that's what our brains do. And that's why we can't always trust the things that we think because both both sides uh, could be accurate depending on which way you're looking at it. If that's really hard. That's a good point that you brought up trusting your own judgment yeah well not just your judgment your your thoughts and your feelings 
you know, because we can convince ourselves of anything, which is something that we've talked about before. And so what do we want to convince ourselves of is the question. Because you're going to anyway, right? Yeah. We can convince ourselves we're, we're happy. We're going to convince ourselves, and I'm guilty of this, of sleeping in longer because, you know, work doesn't really need me today. I know they're sleeping <laughs> without after. I do that a lot. It's just really bad. Uh, and But we convince ourselves we are, are our own best attorneys, right? Like you yes. said. And so maybe we have to make a conscious effort of choosing to convince ourselves of positive things. Exactly. That is exactly it. It's a mind game. Life is mm. kind of a mind game. And it's not an easy one. I'm not saying it's 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 just that simple, folks. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that is the truth. What kind of messages do are we saying to ourselves? What's going to be most helpful? And where do we choose to put our focus? Mm. Those are the questions. Good questions. <laughs> we'll leave you guys with a little nugget to think about. <laughs> Some homework. Yes, you're welcome. <laughs> but thanks for joining us this week, guys. See you soon. <laughs>